Here we go, Genesis 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me? Since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for your word. Open our hearts. Holy Spirit, come. Lord, you know my weakness today. You know how little sleep I got. I don't know. I have any idea why that happened, but here I am. So God, in my weakness, show yourself strong. Hide me behind the cross and still get your word through. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You may be seated. So if we, we've got this series going called Becoming a Friend of God, and today's title is Believing God. If you and I are going to be God's friend, we are going to have to believe God. Hebrews 11.6 says that it's without faith, it's impossible to please God. That to, to, to have faith, you have to believe not just that he is but that he is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him, that he is personally involved with humanity. We can't please God without faith. Now, the reverse is true. We, we can please God with faith. This is what amazed Jesus is when people believed, and it's what he marveled at when people didn't believe. This is how we get God's attention, believing God. Someone said this, a believer's job is to believe. So let's talk about believing God first. Leaving the tent. So I have no idea. I've read through the Bible, the one-year Bible since 1984. So I've read the, through the Bible, whatever that is, lots of times. And I don't know why it never struck me that God, it starts out in this tent and God is meeting with Abraham in the tent. And Abraham is complaining about he doesn't have an heir and you haven't done anything for me and, and I don't know how you're going to reward me. And, and that God says, come outside with me. That God took him out of the tent. God took him out of the tent and said, look at, look at the stars. One speaker said, he called it the tent of human limitation, that what God was doing was removing the ceiling that Abraham had put on his own faith, on his own, that he was living in this tent of human limitation. And God said, I want you to come outside and I want you to look at the stars and I want you to see what I have made. And now, uh, now is it too hard for me to give you a kid? And he believed God. And so the first step to believing is to leave the tent. So I've been thinking a lot about this. And I think about Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, 1. It says that, that uh, 
Samuel is grieving Saul. He, he's the one that anointed Saul to be the first king, and Saul has failed. Saul's not going to make it, and Samuel is is grieving. He's grieving about his ministry. He's grieving that of, of human failure. And God says, God comes to him once again in the tent, in this place where nothing more can happen. And says, how long are you going to stay here? Go out of here. Get up, fill your horn with oil, leave this place and go to the place I want you to go. God takes us out of this place that we get stuck in sometimes. In 1 Kings 19, once again, God follows Elijah into this cave and he says, why are you in this cave? Why are you here? God always starts by having us identify where we are. When we're in a bad place, God wants us to identify it. How did you get here? And then Elijah tells him. He says, here's, here's how I got here. He said, I've been doing a lot. I've been filled with zeal. My ministry is completely unfruitful. Nobody is left. I'm the only one. And my life is over. Take my life. I mean, this is, this is a bad place. And so God says to him, there's 7,000 that you don't know about. And I need you to leave this place that you're in right now. And I need you to go anoint some people that I want you to anoint. There is this place that we get into that the first step is you're not going to be able to believe God while this is on you. God needs to say, get out of that place. Come on out here and breathe the free air and look up and look at me and get your focus off of your limitation, off what isn't done, off what you thought was going to happen that didn't happen, and let's get a new start. It says this in Isaiah 43. It says, don't dwell on the past. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Will you not perceive it? If you're stuck inside this tent of what has happened, you might miss the new thing. The new thing that God is doing, and he says, he says, I'm going to make a way in the wilderness, and I'm going to cause rivers to come forth in the desert. I've got a plan now. I've got a plan for your, I know where you are. I know what you've been under. I, I need you to come out of what has been so that I can speak to you afresh. So here's what happened to me in 2011. The discouraging thing about this story is I, was in, I had been in ministry for 30 years. And what had happened to me was I just kind of had this little judgmental spirit towards pastors. And it was, it was based on this. I, I felt like the body of Christ in America was backslidden for the most part. And that it was the pastor's fault. And that if we would do our part, God would do his part, and there would be a revival. And of course, no one ever wants to blame God of why things aren't happening. So it's got to be us, and it's probably the leaders. And so I just, I just had this little judgmental chip on my shoulder against pastors. And of course, it's always bad to get your identity from, I'm not going to be like them. That's just a horrible identity to have. But but when you're, when you're in the midst of it, you, you just can't, you can't see it clearly unless God comes into the tent and shows it to you. And so I'm meeting with this lady. She's so excited. She wants to tell me God did some great thing. And so we're in 
the office. She's a businesswoman, and she had been at this conference, and God spoke to her in this conference. It was a secular conference, but God spoke to her, and here's what he said to her. You are an angry woman, and you have put a ceiling on your own life. And she said, Pastor Tom, I saw it so clearly that I had been angry and that it was a self-imposed ceiling and I, I, I just asked God to remove it and I am free. I don't know where I'm going, but I know it's way farther than I ever thought I could go before. And I'm like, yep, 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 yep. And I just, that's great, that's awesome. Please leave the office because God has spoken to me. <laughs> I couldn't get her out of there soon enough because I, I'm just like, As she is speaking, God speaks to me. And he says, you're an angry pastor. (gasps) Get out of the office. (laughs) And my biggest fear, putting a ceiling on my own life. I don't want to be limited. I don't want to be limited self-limited. We're all limited by the will of God. You can only be what God's calling you to be and what God's calling you to do, but you can do way less than what God wants to do in and through you. And I, I, that is the absolute, I do not want to ever limit God in my life. And I said, God, please, God, please. I see it. I've been critical. I've been judgmental. Who am I to judge somebody else? I'm not their judge. I didn't die for anybody. Please, God, save me from this anger. I give it to you. Pastors are wonderful. I don't, it's between you and them. Please get this, get this off of me. I, I don't want to put a ceiling on my own life. And it was amazing. It came off of me. All of a sudden, I love pastors. And then, honestly, in the last 10 years, God sent me all around the world training pastors. I've been to Uganda, Kenya, India, Malaysia, the Dominican Republic, Mexico, all just all can all over the place. God has just used me. It's like the ceiling came off, and now God can use me. And but here's the funny thing: God had to come into the tent with me. Abraham's already experienced God. It's not like I hadn't been experiencing God's presence. All that time. I, I, I was with God. I was do- God blesses everything as much as he can. But if he's going to take you to the next level, sometimes you need to come out of the current way you've been thinking. You need to come out of the self-pity. You need to come out of everything that's bad. You need to come out of your anger, out of blaming others, out of whatever it is that has, has, has got this ceiling in your life. And you, you got to come out and breathe the free air and look at the stars And start contemplating. This isn't about man's goodness. It's about God's goodness. It's not about human failure. It's about divine generosity. And and, and the shift of off of our failure and the failures of others to the generosity of God and the heart of God and the desires of God, it's a different lens and it changes everything. So that's point one. Here's point two. Believing God's promises. So it says this, that Abraham believed God and God counted it as righteousness. Abraham wasn't righteous. No one is righteous. 
The Bible makes it very clear. No one is righteous. Even our righteous deeds are as filthy rags in his sight. So if anybody's going to be righteous in God's sight, God's going to have to count them righteous um, for his own, his own purpose. And so this is the foreshadowing of the gospel. It says that he believed God and God counted or credited his account with righteousness. This is the foreshadowing of the gospel. Romans 4, 23 through 25. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So here is how God credits righteousness to the human race. This is how he could do it with Abraham, how he can do it with you and me today. Here is how. He can't arbitrarily credit righteousness to you. He can't just decide because he is God, I can do whatever I want to, and I'm just going to say they're righteous. They seem sorry for their sins. I'm just going to say they are righteous. You say, well, God is God. He can do anything he wants to. Oh, no, there are things God can't do. The Bible says it's impossible for God to lie. God can't lie. And God, God can't, can't deny or contradict his own character. And God is a holy God. He is a holy God. And the only way he could count someone righteous would be if he himself provided the righteous sacrifice. This is, this is why Jesus came. This is why he died on the cross. This is why he drank the cup that had the sin of, of every one of us and the wrath of God against sin. Jesus said, if it's possible in the Garden of Gethsemane, if, if you can do this without me drinking this cup, please do it, but not my will, your will be done. There was no other way for God to count you and me righteous without him being a sacrifice first. But now today, those who believe his promise are counted righteous, credit, credited with righteousness. For our sake, it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. This is the generosity of God. This is called the grace of God. This is the only way a human being can be right with God, to be made righteous because we believe in Jesus' death and resurrection on our behalf. Amen. Amen. If you're not there yet, you're gonna have a chance to go there at the end of the service. All right, that brings us to point three, final point. Isn't this moving along? All right, to believe God, point three, trusting God's character when there's a delay. So here's Luke 18, one. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. One translation says they should always pray and not become discouraged. One says they, they should always pray and not lose heart. So Jesus gave the, the, the two options you have as a child of God on this earth. You can either pray or you can become discouraged. That's the options. 
And then he said why people get discouraged, why the people of God get discouraged. And he, he tells this story of this widow who is not getting justice, so she goes to this judge for justice. Help me, I'm, I, I'm being cheated, help me, judge. And the, the Bible says that this judge does not care for her. He does not love her. He does not care about her. Nor does he care about justice. He, he doesn't care whether she gets justice or not. He doesn't care for her personally. And so she comes, she's like, give me justice. He's like, no, I don't, I don't want to give you justice. I don't care about you. I don't care about justice. But then she comes back the next day. And then she comes back the next day. And then she comes back the next day. And she's crying out, crying out, crying out for justice. And then the Bible says that the reason why the unjust judge gives her justice is not because of her or justice. It's because he, he loves himself. And he's like, this lady is going to wear me out. I'm going to just go ahead and give her justice because it'll make my life better. And Jesus loves to do this. He likes to give how the world does things and then say, so how much more will the Father in heaven who is a just judge, who loves you, who is crazy about you, how much more speedily he, will he give justice to his own children who cry out to him day and night? And then he asks this question. This is, this is uh, Luke 18, verse 8. I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Jesus is absolutely convinced that God is going to do his part. But what he's not convinced about is that he's gonna have any friends that are waiting for him. Because there are so many ways to get offended when there's a delay. When God doesn't do it the way you thought he would do, or he doesn't do what you thought he would do, or he doesn't do it in the timing that you thought he would do it, we, as human beings, even human beings of faith, we can get discouraged and we can simply give up on him. We did John, John 2 the other day where it says that may, he did miracles and many believed in him, but Jesus was not trusting any of them because he knew what was in a man. And I think there's something of that in this verse, that Jesus is saying, God's going to do his part, but will you do yours? Will anybody be waiting for me? Will anybody still be believing me through their delays, through their disappointments, Will they still be believing me? So let's just talk about delay for a second. So he says, certainly God, if, if the unjust judge eventually gives justice, how quickly will God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? One translation says, speedily God will give justice. Now, here is problem number one. God has got a different definition of quickly than we do. He, God, God he, he says quickly, Jesus says, behold, I'm coming soon. That was 2,000 years ago. And he just is, he's on a different clock than we are. And it's, it's hard for human beings living in time to grasp that God, God moves 
as God moves and you, 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 have, you can be frustrated by it, you can be mad about it, or you can prepare for it. So let's talk about trusting God's character when there is a delay. So let's look at Abraham. Abraham comes into the promised land. God says, go out, leave everything to a land that I'm going to show you and I will bless you there. So he, we talked about this a few weeks ago. So he, he talks to Sarah. He talks to the whole family. He says, yep, we're leaving here. Yeah, I really don't know where we're going, but we'll know when we get there. And God says he is going to bless us when we get there. And so they're like, okay, it seems a little crazy, but let's do this. So they go out, they get to the land, God shows them the land. They are in the land. Now it is time for God to bless them. And the next verse says, and a famine came. Well, God never said anything about a famine. There's not supposed to be a famine. I mean, I could just picture people in the household come up to Abraham. Abraham, is this the blessing? Didn't you say God was gonna, this voice, this invisible God that spoke to you, that we're supposed to be blessed to you? This doesn't look like blessing to me. And so what Abraham does, now when he first got there, he made an altar, he was excited about God, he was calling on the name of the Lord, but when the famine comes, there's no altar, there's no prayer, there is just this other voice speaking called fear, and Abraham obeys it. And he leaves the promised land that God had told him to go to, and he goes down to Egypt. Now, when you obey fear, it is because you, you, you hope if you do what fear says that fear will go away, but that's not how it works. Fear actually gets empowered. By the time he gets to Egypt, he's afraid of everything. He says to his dear, precious wife, honey, you are so beautiful. You are amazing. You are so, could you do me a little favor? Would you mind lying and telling everybody that you're my sister? Because I'm afraid they're going to kill me to get you. The great man of faith and power is going to hide behind a a woman. And so Sarah lies. And exactly what Abraham, because she was so beautiful, she's taken into Pharaoh's court and supposed to be one of his harem, um, but God prevents them from sleeping together. And then God speaks to Pharaoh and punishment's coming to Pharaoh and Pharaoh gets Abraham and he says, what you, you lied. Why did you lie? Take your wife, get out of here. And it just, it's a humiliation for the, for the kingdom of God. It's a humiliation really for the man of faith. And so what it says is that Abraham goes back into the land. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read it to you. It's, it's Genesis 13. He went on his journeys from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning. Between Bethel and I to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. So this is not the first altar he built. The first altar he built was Shechem. Then he went down south and built one at Bethel. And then it was at Bethel that the famine came and he left. He got out of the will of God. He got into fear. And then God said, you need to go to the last place where you were believing me. You need, you need to go back to where, where the fear started and you, you, need to, you need to come back. And so he comes back to that place. And, and so this is, this is part of the journey of faith. 
you're a beloved, favored child of God. And then a pandemic hits. I didn't plan on a pandemic. I didn't want there to be a pandemic. Or some traumatic thing happens in your life or in your family or something that you prayed about, the opposite happens, and here you are, and fear starts to grab a hold of you, and you start doing things out of fear. And even though you're a Christian and everybody knows you're a Christian, the truth is you're living by fear, and you're, you're, you're living worried all the time. What is worry? It's unbelief. It's just unbelief. And, and so God comes and he says, I, I, I want you to own that you've been living in fear and I want you to build an altar to me and I want you to call on my name because I don't want you to live in fear anymore. I'm calling you to believe me. I'm calling you to listen to my voice and not the voice of fear. And honestly, how do, you, how do you live like that? How do you live free from fear? Honestly, I think that you, you learn it by living in fear. <laughs> Recognizing this isn't good. This isn't fruitful. This doesn't glorify God. This isn't making me happy. It's driving everybody else crazy. God, I don't want to live in fear anymore. I think we all go through this. I think this is part of our journey. Did you notice that God doesn't interrupt him and say, don't go to Egypt? God didn't say that. God just said, he, he just didn't add any information. He said, go to the promised land. He's at the promised land. And then fear takes him to Egypt and God doesn't interrupt him. And so he comes back, confronts his fear and gets a new beginning. God wants this for all of us. You gotta own where you have been. You gotta own if fear has a hold of you, then fear has a hold of you. Okay, that's not, that's not that big a deal. Lots of, lots of people, lots of people have worry in their family. They're just, we're worriers. Okay, okay, that's great. Somebody's got to kill Goliath. How about you? How about you? How about building an altar, leaving the tent of worry and fear and saying, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start believing you. I'm going to learn how to live in your perfect love that casts out all fear. So it's part of all of our journey. So God says, look, leave the tent, look at the stars. Abraham believes God and it's counted to him as righteousness. And then here we go, chapter 16, verse one. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Picked Hagar up while they were in Egypt. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. So they had waited for God. They had waited, they absolutely waited for God for 10 years. 10 years, that's a long time. And then, and then Sarai's like, I, got, I just got a revelation. God's waiting for us. We're supposed to do something. And so why don't I, I'll give you my maid. Obviously, I can't have kids. And maybe this is more God helps those who help themselves. And, that, that this, and all of a sudden, there's this energy around, around this new plan. We are going to fulfill God's plan. And we're going we're gonna to kind of help God do this thing. And it's, it's not going to be a supernatural, but it's, we're going to get it done. That's called the voice of compulsion. God's not working fast enough. 
And so we've got an idea. Now, unfortunately, this becomes more complicated in the charismatic community because we easily put God's name on our idea. We easily say, God told me, God, God showed me this, and I saw clearly what we need to do, and it's all about stuff you're going to do. It's not, not about what God's going to do. It's about what you're going to do to fulfill this. And, and there can be lots of energy around this, and lots of, God told me, God told me, God told me, and, and we're going to do this. And you say, Pastor Tom, how do you know all this? I've lived it. I've been that guy. I've been the guy with all kinds of energy because God showed me what we're going to do and here's how we're going to do it and God, 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 and then it doesn't work out and it doesn't, it ends up being more Tom than God and then I, 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 prophetic people have come to me and said, you know what, it was God and it's just the people didn't follow you, it was God. So I'm like, you know what, I love you, I love your heart, don't do it. I just miss God. That's okay. I can do it. I'm a big boy. I miss God. And because of that, I'm even more careful in the future. It is very important that we don't operate in fear, but it's equally important that we don't operate in compulsion and put God's name on it. Now, I know there's lots of voices and lots of people telling you this, this, and this, and it's, it's just easy for humans to believe what they want to believe and put God's name on it. And so we need to be very careful. The Bible says examine everything prophetic carefully and cling to what is good. God does speak. God does want to be personally involved. But folks, we have to be careful. And when we miss it, it's not the end of the world. We just missed it. Okay, let's do better next time. It's why we don't have, I don't put any God speak when we feel like God's telling us to, to take another step, to do this. I just say, well, let's run the experiment. Let's run the experiment. We're, right now we're doing 12 uh, or 10 uh, first Sundays called River Rising. What are they? Uh, if you know the whole story, you know I, I, I felt like God was leading it into it, but maybe, maybe not. Let's, let's run the experiment. Let's just step out. Let's do what we think God is saying and let him confirm whether this is truly the next step. God doesn't need our help to confirm what he's doing. He can confirm it. You just go ahead and do it and let's, let's see. Let's, let's, let's see what the fruit of it is. And uh, Ishmael comes, 13 years go past. They have been in the, in the land now for 20, 23 years. Abraham is 99 years old, and God comes and speaks. And he says at the beginning of Genesis 17, he says, I am the Lord Almighty, walk blameless before me. And then he says, I'm changing your name from Abraham, or from Abram to Abraham, because Abraham means father. You are going to be the father of many nations. He tells him about the stars again, and he says that Sarah is going to be the one that is going to have this child. So here's, here's what happens. This is Genesis 17. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, yes, 
thank God he even blesses our mistakes and our personality. He uses everything. But your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac, which means laughter. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. Abraham says, you are late. I'm too old now. <laughs> this is a great plan, and it could have worked if you had come through you know, 20 years ago, but it's too late now. And God says, I, I am God. I am God, and I, I, sometimes I wait until every other possibility dies. And you are still going to have a child. It's going to be through Sarah, and you're going to name him Laughter. Everybody that hears the story will laugh because they will know man did not do this. God did this. This this child came from God. And here's what it says. This is Romans 4, 19 through 21. This is speaking of the specific promise that came to him when he was 100 or when he was 99. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Since he was about 100 years old, And that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. But was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. He did not weaken in his faith. He did not waver in his faith. That means he could have been weakened, he could have been wavering, but he instead chose to focus on God, to focus on the one who had promised. He praised and he worshiped him and he focused on God and he became the friend of God. He was God's friend. To be God's friend, we're gonna have to believe and then we're gonna have to persevere through delays. We're going to have to persevere through disappointment. We're going to have to persevere through our presumption, our fear, all of our missteps. And guess what? God's waiting for us. God is waiting for us. God is wanting to bring about his purposes in our life. And oftentimes, he's waiting for us. Are you done yet? Are are you going to do some more things in fear? Are you done with that now? Are you, are you going to do some more things in your own zeal? The Bible says zeal without wisdom is not good. But God, God, will just, God never interrupted and said, no, don't do that. Don't have a child with Hagar. That's wrong. God's like, God just watches. He's like, okay, let's see what, what happens. Isn't that frustrating? Wouldn't, wouldn't you think that he would want it to be perfect? And he's like, no, let's, I'll teach you through the mess. I'll teach you through your mistakes. As long as you'll hang in there. As long as you'll persevere, as long as you will keep your eyes on me, I'll take even your presumption, even your fear, and I'll work it all for your good and for the good of this world. So for God, it's all about the stars. The stars are all of the descendants that are going to be born from heaven. All of those that will be born from above. God's heart is the harvest. Jesus said, go and preach the gospel to every single person. 
Make disciples of everyone. I have this promise. My, I shed my blood for all mankind and I want them all to come. There's room for all of them. Go out there, tell them if they will believe this promise, I will give them my righteousness. So he speaks things. He speaks, that, that's a big one for the whole body of Christ, but he also speaks things to individuals and then he speaks things to churches. And here's the things that he, a few things that he's spoken to City Church. One, he said, um, right at the beginning of this thing, I, I'm going to bring back the prodigals and I'm going to bring back the older brothers. I'm going to bring them into my house for my own joy. And the mark of this place is going to be joy. I, I'm going to do stuff that's going to make you laugh. And there's going to be joy in this house, both in the prodigals coming back that didn't know God, that are coming to know God, and those that that became older brothers, that got hooked into religion, and they come back into relationship, and it's going to be, it, there's going to be joy in the house. And in, in 2012, he told us how he was going to do it. We were in the middle of seeking God for our purpose. God, we, what, what are we supposed to be doing? And this prophet came, and he said, I want City Church to ask me for a double anointing. I want to pour out my spirit. I want to pour out my presence but I need you to value it enough to ask for it. I need you, and so we've been, for 10 years, we've been persevering to ask for more, God. We value you. We want more. And uh, you say, well, Pastor Tom, where is this huge harvest? Where is uh, the anointing moving in such great, powerful ways that people are being set free and, 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 and things are, are happening where, where we're, we're seeing God in our midst? And... Um, uh, to be honest, we've seen some stuff, a little, but not nearly what we want to see. And you say, well, if 10 years have gone past, then, you know, we probably missed it. Mm -mm. No, God's got a different timetable. God's got a different timetable. So I'm working on this message, and last week we get this testimony um, from a young lady named Vanessa, and I met her on Tuesday, and she gave me permission to share her story. I want to read it to you. Four years ago, I had gone through ter a terrible divorce from a 10-year marriage, and we were not believers. The man I started dating is a Christian, and he would ask if I wanted to go to church, and I was like, mm, no thanks. You believe in, inv in an invisible guy, and I won't hold that against you, but that's not for me. Well, about six to seven months later, I had an experience, and I started going to church with him. Then COVID hit. I lost touch a bit, started to wonder if maybe my experience was just a super weird coincidence, but I would still go to church now and again. After the restrictions lifted, we started to attend weekly. Well, one week late last year, I went to church by myself. That morning, I took a shower and had one of my PTSD episodes regarding my ex, after the divorce, I was plagued by these episodes where it felt like a small monster with four-inch claws lived in me, and I would get these memories, and it would tear and slash at my chest. My blood felt on fire and screaming in my brain. I would sob, become unable to do anything, and be stuck in these memories that would consume me in rage, resentment, and make me feel totally powerless. I went to church that morning and did something I never do. I went up to the prayer people at the front after the service. I didn't know what to expect. I wasn't even sure it was going to do anything. I was just so beaten down and tired and desperate for relief from those memories. Two guys prayed over me 
And I cried and cried and then walked home. I remember feeling a little better on the walk home, but chalked it up to the therapeutic effects from crying. A few weeks went by and I noticed I hadn't had an episode in a while. I used to get around three a week. I started to kind of gently touch those sensitive memories, almost like when you quickly and gently touch something to test if it's hot, and nothing. So I started to bring up more memories in my head, waiting for the claws to start tearing my chest, and nothing. So I went full blast and recalling sensitive memories and not a thing. It was like an old memory, like remembering what I ate yesterday. I was completely blown away. All my thoughts had had, uh, had had, I had had about maybe I'm drinking too much of the Christian Kool-Aid and I am starting to imagine things were wiped out. No way could I imagine my way out of 10 years of anger, resentment, fear, shame, and grief. I don't care how much Kool-Aid I drank. There is no way I could make that completely disappear, vanish. I've never been the let things go type, not how I roll at all. It was a complete miracle. I wanted to run down the street telling everyone, he is real, he is actually real. But I am also very scared of being judged as a nutbag. Because four years ago, I would have told someone, you made it disappear because you convinced yourself it was real and you just wanted it to be real. But the thing is, I didn't convince myself of anything. I wasn't even sure anything would happen when I went up there. I was kind of one foot in and one foot out, if I even really believed. I was just so sad and desperate for relief. Since that time, I've been developing a relationship with Jesus. Some days are better than others, but on the whole, my life is truly getting better. I find that slowly I am changing, doing things differently, being a different person, not because it says be good in the Bible or else, but because it actually feels good. It feels so good when I feel Jesus. I don't want to sin because it's bad to sin. I don't want to sin because I get separated from that feeling, from his joy. Thanks for listening. I need to start being braver about sharing my story. I feel like someone that won the lottery and just buried the riches in the ground and didn't tell anyone. This is a start, I guess. So you say, Pastor Tom, how is, how is this harvest going to come in? So if God can do it for Vanessa, why couldn't God do it for a hundred Vanessas in one service? Why couldn't a hundred people be leaving the building? I've got to tell everybody, he's real, he's real, he's real, he's real. You think it's harder for God to set a hundred free than it is to set one free? Guys, there's a harvest out there. God is looking for friends. He's saying, I, I, know, I know how bad it is out there. I know how people don't want to hear, and I know all of the lies that the enemy is putting. I know all the things that are wrong. But I want you to leave the tent of your own experience, your own fear, your own anger, and I want you to, I want you to behold, I need, I need somebody to come into agreement with me. I need somebody to believe for what I can do. I need somebody to believe for my heart of love that is going on. It's not about you, it's about what I want to do and the harvest that I want to bring in. 
So would you mind just opening your arms to the Lord right now? Lord, I, I honestly believe that you're asking this church to be more than your children, however wonderful that is, to be more than your servants, however worthy you are of us just serving and obeying you. But you are looking for friends who are willing to lay down their disappointments, their discouragements, everything that's wrong in their life, and to just, to just let me take you outside. Let me, let, me, let me help you breathe the free air of heaven and, and, and get a new lens for the rest of your life. Lord, it says your eyes are looking all over the earth for those who you will show yourself strong to and then show yourself strong through. Lord, would you find us today? Would you find me today? Father, I pray for everybody that has put a ceiling on their life and that somehow during my talk today that it just, the Holy Spirit, just like you spoke to me while, while that lady was speaking, spoke and said, You're there, you put a ceiling on it. Lord, you took that ceiling away in one day, you took it away. It was just like, I don't want it anymore. And you're like, okay, let's get rid of it. Would you remove ceilings from us that we have put on ourselves? God bless you and have a good day.